Hey, what's up? That was our new intro song. Hope you guys liked it. It's Monday. It's Labor Day. We're waking up and we feel good. Hope you guys are feeling good too. My voice is peak divorcee and uh, feeling great. Adam Lefko here at Adam Lefko on Twitter. Hey, Russ, hey. he's Joy on Broad. What's up, Russ? Hey, Adam. How are you? Uh, it's really, really awesome that you guys are here today. I've only been sitting on this website since uh, Friday morning at 6 a.m., so I'm glad somebody Waiting finally got on. To show up. Hey, man, happy to be here. And we also have, that's right, Kyle Scott at Crossing Broad. What's up, Kyle? Yeah, good uh, good <laughs> intro music on your part. Uh, Russ, Russ is campaigning for us to get intro music because apparently every other podcast has it so. wasn't he supposed to like submit some weird songs for us to pick from i sent one to you guys and you're like oh this is good and then uh that was that and uh nice. yeah this is awesome uh what are you guys up to this weekend what's popping are you guys big hurricane guys yeah i'm, what I'm getting mean? hyped for, for like irma, i'm, I'm kind of yeah i'm getting a, i'm getting a rager for uh irma here Irma. After Harvey, I'm going to be afraid of every hurricane. They're saying that Irma is going to go Cat 5 within, like, the next, I think, five days or so. It's going to hit Cat 4 as it passes the island of Hispaniola, which is the Dominican Republic in Haiti for those geography fans out there. And uh, it could possibly, you know, it's supposed to hit Cat 5 as it approaches the U.S. to hit Florida. So there, there are some interesting things. 180 mile an hour winds are, are possible which would absolutely devastate places. So that I don't look forward to that. I look forward to watching it on the radar, not to the devastation it causes. Yeah, no one likes the death and destruction, but I do like a good weather event. Uh, one of my favorite things that I've done in the last few years, and this might speak volumes about me, is I've created a Twitter list for storms, and I, it's called appropriately STORM in all caps, uh, and it's a mix of meteorologists, but not – there's a few of the mainstream guys, like Adam Joseph and Cecily Tynan are in here. But it's mostly, like, not the TV meteorologists because I, what I've learned is there is this huge discord between the actual forecasters, the National Weather Service people, the hardcore, like, professional forecasters, and then the TV forecasters, even though they're all – technically meteorologist so the best information tends to come from those back-end people you know these are the people who are giving the information to the weather people on tv so following them is always very insightful and uh, i like when a hurricane's happening the spaghetti plots they come out a couple of times per day uh are, are either of you guys familiar with the spaghetti plots yes i've taken weather. Nope. i've taken weather classes you before so yeah could you guess what no they are, what Adam? Talking. Could you guess uh, what the spaghetti plots are? I don't. I have no idea. Tell so, me. Tell me. So they run all these model simulations once or twice a day, and then the models, they run they run it through 20 different algorithms or models, and they spit out their projected tracks. Well, when they, they put all those tracks on the one map, and it looks like spaghetti because it's just a bunch of divergent lines. So I like the spaghetti plots because they tend to narrow in as you get closer to the event. So... Uh, the big shift from Sunday night into this morning on Monday is that the track has shifted a more southwesterly direction with most of the spaghetti plots having it land, make landfall in the U.S. between, like it's hitting Cuba and then coming north uh, somewhere between Florida and like South Carolina seems to be the bullseye. But there are still a few that have it going further north, coming into North Carolina, Virginia, and even uh, a few still hitting Jersey, so... So I, you guys watch the weather like this? 
I don't. Like, you'll like well, watch it every day yeah. and like check for updates. For me, it's not. It's not Twitter. so much like I really enjoy. Well, I, I used to enjoy, I should say, watching Jim Cantori and and like the the Weather Channel people on the ground as the hurricanes approaching. But we have FiOS, and FiOS doesn't have the Weather Channel. They have AccuWeather Channel, which is a bunch of people sitting in studios, just kind of showing you the devastation from a distance, and then like also showing you what the weather looks like in San Diego. And, and like, in terms of big weather events happening, the Weather Channel covers it exponentially better, more entertaining, more in-depth. I feel like I miss out by, by being stuck watching AccuWeather. So, just for everybody at home, Kyle sits on Twitter and looks at spaghetti pictures, and Russ is calling, is calling up his cable company and constantly complaining that he's watching the wrong weather, guys. Yep. This is good stuff. I just didn't know that people watch weather like that. I just check the weather app on my phone and see what the weather's going to be like. That's kind of my big weather uh, involvement. You don't get into storms or whatever? No. Like, I was in Austin, and they were like, everyone was getting updates, and I was like, if it hits, it hits. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Adam, no, no, I guess it's kind of out of your hands. In New York City. Yeah, I I don't understand the point. So, New York City, when a blizzard's coming through, you're not like. You're not watching. You're not. No, I'm like a kid hoping that it's a snow day the next day. Like I go to sleep and I go, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I have a big test tomorrow. I hope the snow hits. Like that's how I treat it. How does Bleacher Report to on those kind of days? Like do they actually give people the day off? Do you have to work from home? Like how does does that work? We're kind of a company that everyone could probably work from home anyway. Like I don't even know if we actually need an office most of the time except to shoot stuff. I mean, it's just a bunch of people on their laptops, so we don't really miss a beat on that day. That's kind of when I kind of think that's when the company should realize they should probably just let everyone work from home anyway. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's they they send out an email the day before, and it's usually bros, brosettes. I'm kidding; they don't say that, but they're like people. Everybody, be safe, be rad, but be safe. Stuff like that. All right. Who's your boss? I don't know. Everybody's everybody's like super 20, on his, brand. His dad is the uh, it's the Hawaiian punch guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. What was that guy? He had like a weird crown. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Wait, was uh, the guy? He was he was a jug of hot no, that's no, or whatever. No, that's no, you're that talking, was, that's the Kool Aid Man. That's the Kool Aid <laughs> oh, yeah. Hawaiian punch guy. Go go Google him while we're doing yeah, this. Yeah, super weird. I never knew what it was. It's very strange. So should we talk about sports or uh sure. Yeah, what do you want to talk about first? Well Well what's catching your attention? There's a lot catching my attention. Uh those those uh people who listen to the podcast probably look at Crossing Broad's website. There have been a multitude of articles posted. I'd like to get to those later, but maybe uh Adam, do you have any thoughts do you have any thoughts on the fifty three man roster uh, as it as it stands? I, I have one issue, but that's about let, let me hear your issue first. Yeah, the Hawaiian punch guy. If someone could explain to me why now. he has antlers, uh, that would be great. Maybe he was and Canadian. Are, he like is that supposed to represent like the splash coming off of a Hawaiian punch? Maybe. Oh, good point. Never thought of it. Um, so fifty three man roster. I always find myself getting really frustrated by the fact that like everybody is a GM. And people throw sure. and people throw so much weight behind like the fifty third guy to make the roster, who very likely will not play. Um, uh oh, I can hear myself. 
there goes Kyle. Yeah, you're okay. Go ahead. Mad, no, guys. I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. Um, so what happened is, like, I, I feel like every year we get behind somebody. Like, wasn't it last year it was Paul Turner? And when Paul Turner didn't make the roster, it was like World War Three. Like the the whole team was going to fall apart. The Eagles were no longer going to exist. They were they were like going to burn the link to the ground. And then Paul Turner didn't get picked up anywhere. Paul Turner came out again this year. Like didn't make the team. Like he, I don't understand why people get so upset about the last guys on the roster. The only thing that I think is like a little bit troubling is maybe the five running backs. But like I don't know why people are so surprised that Donald Pumphrey made the team. Like I get that he wasn't, you know, one of the top four running backs in the preseason, uh, you know, on the eye, the eye test. But he he cost him a fourth round pick. Like you're not gonna just, you know, cut the guy after you know four preseason games. Like I I don't understand why people get just so irate about it. Like Clement looked like he was a, a good player, so like I can understand thinking he's not gonna get through waivers. Maybe they thought the same thing about Pumphrey. Like ultimately, I don't think. That that's going to like change the the balance of power for the team. Now my bigger issue is that they don't have offensive tackle depth, which has been an issue that I've had for a while. Like I think offensive line, when you go into a season knowing that Lane Johnson is one bad p test away from you know being out for the year, and you're one like anything away from Jason Peters going down for at least a game or two, you know I, I think that's maybe a bigger issue. Yeah, I think your take on practice squad is my take on the NCAA tournament, which is everyone always freaks out about the 66th team that didn't get in, and the odds of them winning the tournament are 0%. Um, and it's just, it's always like an upset um, Ryder fan or a really angry um, you know, Richmond, Virginia fan. Uh, I think the thing that I always noticed is the direction and the emphasis that the team is putting on positions by only keeping eight offensive linemen having traded two offensive linemen three in the past two seasons including dennis kelly they are and only keeping uh holly pulley volley vitae uh wisniewski and chance warmack as your backups yeah they're they are very shallow after they went through like so many guys on the offensive line last year I understand that you're mentioning Pumphrey. I would put Gibson, the wide receiver, into that as well as these developmental young guys that were not deserving of being on the best 53, but you also can't give up on them because they might get claimed by waivers elsewhere. Um, you're, you're playing this game, which is, do you think other people want your players? And this year, nobody wanted the Eagles players except for the backup center uh, that was picked up elsewhere. And all of our guys cleared waivers, and the, most of them are going to be on the practice squad. So that's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. It means that people aren't interested in our guys, but it also means that you know Dylan Gordon and a lot of those guys make it through to the practice squad. Um, we'll we'll learn what we think of of this decision in week ten, week eleven. The depth that's there. I think they kept more linebackers. They kept more corners. They kept more safeties. They wanted more depth in a lot more positions. So maybe maybe they just realized you know they needed more guys in those spots. But I don't find it to be. It was not a super exciting waiver slash cut weekend for the Eagles. There was a lot of other teams where a lot of crazy decisions were happening in trades, but 
the Howie's been slowly trading off guys all season to make this decision easier. Uh, I think if a lot of those other moves didn't happen, uh, Saturday would have been a lot crazier. I know it was really, it's not related to the Eagles, but did you have a thought on the TJ Ward releasing and, or the, yeah, it was uh, me and Mike Lombardi were going up and back on Twitter. I didn't understand it. I don't understand, stand why teams get rid of team leaders because of $4 million. This whole notion that we'd have to pay him. Yeah. Why not keep him on your team? I don't get it. Uh, I had talked to Sims and Sims was saying that he has a reputation of being somebody that, you know, their personal life, they kind of go out and he thought maybe it was something like that. But uh, yeah, look, I have a lot of questions about John Elway um, as a GM that I think we gave him a lot of credit very early on. This is a guy that was applauded for letting Brock Osweiler leave. Meanwhile, he tried to offer Brock Osweiler a monster contract and then signed Brock Osweiler later anyway. So uh, it it doesn't make a lot of sense, but he makes the Bucks a lot better right away. Um, I don't know. Should be one of my favorite things about what, what Brock got, Osweiler Kyle? is the way Scott Hansen. Uh, if you ever watch Red Zone, and I know you're sitting in front of a bank of TVs all day, Adam, so maybe you don't. But if you, if you ever watch Red Zone, Scott Hansen, anytime Brock Osweiler does something good, the way he says his name. Like you, because like there's shock in his voice that Brock is is doing something successful. So like you'll be in the middle of like the Chargers Raiders game, and all of a sudden it'll be like, hold on, we're gonna go and see Brock Osweiler throwing a touchdown. It's like every time he does something even remotely good, there's there's like a, a level of shock in Scott Hansen's voice, and that's, that's Scott Hansen like, is the Scott Hansen is the Carson Wentz of former Philadelphia broadcasters. He's, he just seems like too nice of a guy. And like he is the opposite of Siciliano. Siciliano is like is like smug and 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 is like uh, like talking about contracts and stuff. And Scott Anton's like, how blessed are we to be together on a Sunday? Let's hold hands and just feel good about. Do life. you have any? Uh, yeah, that's it's interesting you say that because I've I've never seen Siciliano. I don't have Direct TV, and by all accounts, uh, their red zone is equally if is good, if not better. And I suppose it's the canonical red zone, the initial one. But um, I've read interviews with Siciliano, and I've seen him in other things, and I've always gotten that same vibe from him too. Like he seemed a touch full of himself in a couple of the interviews I read about him. Whereas like Scott well, Hansen's like. Dude, I got the best job in the world. Scott Hansen uh, is like Siciliano is what I call a career broadcaster where his hobby is broadcasting. His favorite thing to do is broadcasting. He's probably wanted to do it since he was like eight. Uh, he's also, um, I hope no one would take offense to this. He's very, very short. And a lot <laughs> of people, you know, think that he has um, uh uh, Napoleon complex and all that stuff. That's just like kind of the like the pieces I've read about him have always commented on that. Um, he, it is a better show. I've watched both. Siciliano makes it a television show. Scott Hansen is is reacting to. Uh, oh, and we we got something else here. The Browns. Who doesn't love the Browns like that? Whereas Siciliano is just better on television. Like he's he is a better broadcaster than Scott. What's Hansen. different about it? 
like it just explain what you mean by television show because I like it's, to me Red Zone both is shows the best are reliant on my cable plan. Red Zone is the best program on my TV. Three hundred sixty-five days a year, like out of the year. What that's was that? Oh, Russ went on mute. That was the uh, that's that... the two-year-old I think yelling during breakfast. Ooh, should we should get on your kids to talk? I'd like to ask them questions. I have a lot of questions for your kids. Um, the difference is, Kyle, is both shows revolve around one person, and the question is, which person do you like more? And I think that Siciliano's ability to get in and out, his recall uh, of what what matters, uh, I just think he's he's better at it. But they're both great products, you know what I mean? They both have so many people whose job is to show you everything. Fair enough. That's all I got. That's all okay. I got. Yeah, so Russ yeah. is likely gone. Kyle, what is your take on Cut Down Day, and did anything interest you? Well, I um, has anyone brought up Matt McGloin? <laughs> nope. Matt McGloin was cut. They kept they kept Nick Foles, too. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be Carson and, and Nick Foles. Matt McGloin, Dade Evans gone. And they scooped up Nate Sudfeld from Washington. We'll see if that lasts or if that's just keep him on the practice squad uh, for the Washington game and then remove him afterwards. The whole Foles we'll thing does feel weird. Like I know you said a few weeks ago, um, you know, they, they there was a little bit of an issue there. And it, it's like the whole thing does feel weird. Like, I, like he, missing the entire preseason with what, what this elbow injury. Um, not playing like it's just, it's just got an odd vibe to it. Yeah, the vibe that I get is you go from the last few years having so many quarterbacks on the roster where you're paying so much money, and now you have a guy that hasn't been there in four weeks, like hasn't taken snaps, and that's who we're gonna have as our only option. If something were to happen to Carson, it does seem a little crazy. But guys, Nick Foley and Dynamite himself threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm not He's a, a Philly guy. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Uh, Fol- I mean, Foles. It's clear that it was it was such a crazy aberration. Uh, that Raiders game, I think, sent us all into like some sort of trance where we convinced ourselves and then they would come out with the mic'd up stuff and you're like oh Foles, Foles is so folksy he seems cool and then then that Buzz Bissinger hit piece that everyone got upset about um actually there was the there was the thing after the Tampa Bay game remember like he uh he supposedly designed the play that led to the touchdown in Tampa people got all all super hyped over that yep yep yeah and then Buzz Bissinger came what out what was the Buzz Bissinger piece what was his take that he's boring yes. and boring doesn't win and thus he's not the guy. Yeah, he he wrote a piece. I think it was for Philly Mag. Uh, he tried to interview him. Went to his family. Uh, I think was you know Foles really wanted nothing to do with the piece, and he was like, "Look, this kid used to be his parents were sort of millionaires. His dad was very successful to begin with. Uh, he's a super nice guy. Like you know, nice guy, good family, all this sort sort of stuff. But like he has no edge to him. He's boring. He's not that competitive. He's not that talented. He's like the most boring." "Quote unquote star quarterback I've ever seen, and at the time when everyone kind of like liked Foles, it was um, it felt like a hit piece. But in hindsight, it's, it's kind of right on the money. Like it was it was certainly takey, 
um, for sure. But at the end of the day, he was he was kind of right. Like Foles is Foles Foles doesn't inspire a ton of confidence when he's out on the field or whatever. Like I'm just amazed when I see him in. There was a picture of him in his house, and like he just looks like a dude. Like I've I've never seen an athlete look so much like a dude than Foles, and he like he's doesn't even look particularly in shape. Like he's not like. He's not like cut. He's like there was a little bit of man boob under his to, t-shirt. Like I'm just, I don't know. He's NFL Napoleon Dynamite. Full on, yeah. Absolutely. Buzz Bissinger, man, yeah. Nick Foles. Well, it's funny. Like that's it is something that I look for in quarterbacks. Like I don't know if you guys saw the UCLA Texas A&M game yesterday. Josh Rosen led an amazing comeback. They were down like 34 points in the third quarter. And then after the game, he was talking, and I kept thinking, man, this guy is is an adult, and he is cool, and he is funny, and that stuff matters to be a quarterback. Like, we saw it with Carson Wentz this, this offseason. You have to convince guys to want to hang out with you. Like, you need to be a leader. Like, you need to be interesting and fun. And that is a quality of a quarterback. If you're boring and, like, aloof and, like, uninteresting – People and you're gonna go into the huddle and go, guys, let's go. It's like one of the reasons why I had an issue with Jared Goff, is I find him to be like very, like very quiet and like not super confident. To be fair, Carson and Wentz I is don't... going around spouting off Bible verses, so I don't think he's like the the epitome of fun. Yeah, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying is that's why I don't mean like fun. Like, but he's still out there. Like, hey guys, great play. Like Andrew Luck's like that too. Andrew Luck isn't religious, but Andrew Luck is so obsessed with football that you're like, oh, dude, I know I know my quarterback is watching film tonight, and that's how they feel about Carson. Like, Carson's a good, like, dude, you were so great yesterday, but, like, he doesn't want to know that you went out last night. But he's got a great energy to him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's fair. Awesome. Sorry, I was on speaking to nobody. I was on mute. Uh, let me get some iTunes comments before we keep going. Uh, Eags Rocks 20 commented, David Aker's thighs. Love the podcast and the banter. Much better than the Drek on radio. Excited the website is going. Waiting for the Union spinoff pod with Russ. Also props to Adam staying woke on Taylor Swift. Keep up the good work, boys. Woof. What would the podcast be called, Russ, if it was a Union podcast? I don't know. I haven't put any thought into it. I have put put I, some what? thought into that guy's Taylor Swift jab. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but she has a debuted a new song prior to the big ABC Florida State Alabama game Saturday night. They kind of snuck that in there with the hashtag "Ready for It," which is the name of the song. Uh, I was wholly unexpecting that. Are, there, are you ready for a retirement? What's that? You ready for her retirement? <laughs> no, but I I was imp- I didn't catch it. I watched the game. I didn't realize it was her during the intro or I wasn't paying attention. I noticed yesterday morning that they had debuted it, kind of snuck in a new song there. I enjoy the song. I think it continues to show her her maturity and her advancement as an artist, and I'm excited. Uh, I think this is the sort of – these are the things I think about. I think they Apple should use that song as the last song they play before their big iPhone keynote next week. That The last song they always play before the keynote is sort of like their um, – 
like Apple, obviously very PR conscious, they very much consider the songs leading up to the keynote and the one that takes you into Tim Cook taking the stage. My head goes, I would love for them to play Taylor Swift's Ready For It. It seems like a nice segue to launching an iPhone. These are the things I think about on weekends. My brain is currently so lost in that that earlier moment that we talked about uh, Brock Osweiler and, and how he's introduced on Red Zone. I'm I'm just like, I want Paul Heyman to leave Brock Lesnar, and I want him to uh, do the intro every time that Brock Osweiler sits on the bench. Brock Osweiler! Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman. I can't do a Paul Heyman. It ends up sounding like... And your quarterback is Brock Osweiler. I just sound like Gilbert Godfrey trying to do it, but you, you get the point. So I was super excited to see the, the Floyd Mayweather's entrance and what song he came out to. But Kyle apparently sits on weekends and thinks about Taylor Swift opening up for Tim Cook. Good old Swifty. And man, I it's I, I, to me it's not news that Kyle likes the Taylor Swift song and thinks it adds to her maturity. The only news would be if Kyle realized that he didn't like a Taylor Swift song and that he thought that it didn't add to her maturity. So that's not really news. That's more of like a fanboy being like, have you seen Taylor Swift's new album? People say it's the best of all time. Meanwhile, people is the voice in your own head. So Kyle, super glad that Taylor continues to hit those notes that you thoroughly I will enjoyed. point out By the that way, no, not... one, right, go, go no one told me that 1989... Uh, was arguably the best pop album of all time. That was, uh, that's like, I don't know if I've read that anywhere. I'm sure someone else shares that opinion. Uh, that's all me. Like, I, I'll go end to end on 1989 and be like, you show me another album that goes song for song with this in the pop realm. And uh, I don't know if it exists. Oh, man, that sounds super easy to do. I'm listening to Ready For It right now. Like, I, I'm skipping through it really quick because I, I just need to try to understand Kyle a little bit better. And, I, say and I, I don't get it. Like I, it's not her I best song 1980- ever, but it's good. Yeah, I got, I got 1989. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't feel the need to constantly I rebrand. If- and I, I think this is, I think what's happening is that Kyle, like we pointed out in the last podcast, he was not a big fan of like early T Swift, like teardrops on my guitar. Um, but he's big on 1989. And so my thought is that this is all about Kyle's attraction to Taylor Swift and that 1989, she kind of like had this coming out party of, of, you know, becoming this, uh, maybe a little bit more of an adult and becoming a little bit more of a, of an icon of sorts. And now this is kind of like her bad side phase. Like if you look at, at the, uh, album artwork, the cover art for maybe thing, like Russ, maybe Kyle fashions himself as the Taylor Swift of Philadelphia media. And he is himself uh, growing up and maturing and starting his own pay-for-play website. And he's sort of like the guy that's been, you know, keeping it in tight. And now he's really being the bad boy on the block. You're going to have to read my site exclusively at Target. The the site hasn't gone like black and white. Also, I do think, Russ, I do think you were hitting on something I've noticed Kyle has a weird fascination with people that are blonde. He really is obsessed with them. But his wife is not blonde. Yeah, that's just for argument. Who's another? Wait, wait. I think he just married her to throw us. I don't know. We were talking about Jillian Mealy on the the beginning of the show today. I'm just, 
You're a little different to the blondies. Nah, nah, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a thing there. And Russ, your theory, I, Taylor Swift is good looking. I'm not. I could, I could name tw- thirty celebs who I would uh, put ahead of her in, in that. So I don't. I, you probably I go back <laughs> for me. You probably have a power ranking going on like the background of your computer. For me, her, uh, yeah, it's always, it's always changing. But for me, her, uh, her, arguably her peak public work was when she performed <laughs> Mean at the Grammys in like 2011. That was terrific. That was really well done. She had the whole like banjo country band out there. Her she was peak throwing daggers at her ex boyfriend. That's oh that's God. peak Taylor. If we have anybody still listening at this point, it will be a miracle. All right, Russ. Russ, since her peak public work, I like that you talk about it like she's Van Gogh. <laughs> she was, she her work was seen most critically acclaimed on the 2013 performance on the Nickelodeon Children's Award, where covered in slime, she still hit the notes of her hit single "Baby, I'm Still Angry." Two hundred years from now, they're gonna look back at American culture, and they're gonna they're gonna look at like the all time great moments, and and so you're gonna have like Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. I am not a crook. Read my lips. I did not have an affair with that woman. Weapons of mass destruction. Yes, we can. Make America great again. And then it's going to be Taylor Swift. Just performing. That was incredible. I know. I'm gonna... That was actually really well done. That By was the like... way, Russ, my parents, my parents at two different times this weekend said, Russ is, is getting kind of funny. I like Russ. Yes. Both of them said that at different times, not knowing that the other person uh, said that comment. Thanks, Adam's parents. It was interesting. It. Russ, that yeah. your little thing there was like if uh, when you pulled the string on Woody in Toy Story and he just started. Remember, like he when he got weird and he would just start like rattling off random things when he was forlorn. Like that's what that was like. Like you didn't you didn't even take a breath between changing voices. That's that's, that's true. I, I'd focus on that. What's crazy is is that means on the first day of school. He is running across desks and yelling about historical moments that the kids don't understand. Do you teach history? Man, teacher of the year. I'm not going to reveal what subject I teach. I like to keep a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of guessing going. I'm sure I could, I'm sure I could Google it. Russ, so he's, what are your points about the website? A, he's a tech teacher. So you want, you want my thoughts on, the, on your website? Well, hold on. I, I guess I'm not subscribed. Or, well, I was subscribed. I'm trying to access your website right now, and I've got some kind of auto it's kind of crappy but like i've got some autoplay thing like blasting in my ears well if you were um, logged right, in so, you wouldn't be getting that yeah so i yeah probably just should so i was going through i've i've read every article because i feel like it's you know it is it is a necessity at this point to uh, make sure that i'm keeping up with what the people you're paying on this website are writing and there have been some really yeah so there have been some like really solid uh, articles put out by your people. Um, there now there are definitely things that I've kind of taken some exception to that I'm not. Uh, Ooh, tell it, say no, it. But like, for example, so uh, Kyle was really excited before we we got started today. Um, he was talking about how in I don't know the guy's name, uh, B Wang C B is what he, he posted as, not his name. I forget what his name is. Bob Wankel. Uh, this, Great Bob. Name. Bob. So he he posted a thing about Adubal Herrera, which is fine. And he did the player A, player B. And maybe I'm just a freak, um, but I, I knew without reading it who player A and player – well, I knew obviously one was going to be Adubal, but I knew who the other guy was. Uh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't read the article yet. It's, it's on the website. But – the player A, player B thing I always find to be 
um, I, f I think it's like a little bit tricky because I think it it's totally based on whatever narrative you want it to have. So like if if you decide that you want to make a, a comparison completely off to, off of advanced defensive statistics, you could do it, and you could probably you know pull up the the difference between like defensively between like Pedro Feliz and Abraham Nunez and uh, I don't know Michael Franco or something. And you could you could build a narrative specifically just on having an anonymous or like removing the player names, uh, and then I guess like the the big moment is supposed to be kind of like the pull the carpet out from underneath and go whoa I didn't realize that this all time favorite player I have you know uh, you know wasn't quite as good or or measured up against a guy that I have a negative uh, view of the the point that I think he really hit on was. I guess I'll spoil it now was that Shane Victorino and Odubel Herrera really kind of have had a lot of the same things going uh the the biggest difference i think and i think some of the people in the comments section kind of tore into it a little bit is victorino was a bonehead there's no doubt about it but this kind of comes back to the typical philly mantra here of is he a philly guy will he run through a wall and victorino i don't remember now i'm gonna get ripped apart if i'm wrong on this i don't remember there being multiple instances of shane victorino not running out a, a routine play to get to first base, uh, which has happened with the double a bunch of times. I remember Shane Victorino having some base running blunders early in his career, but then he became one of the best base runners on the team. He was also one of their their highest and most legitimate stolen base threats. So, like that article, like I, I get I get what Bob was trying to do. I think it was a good article. I thought once he got into the narrative that kind of surrounds the double and whether or not. You know, people are giving him a fair shake or not. Like, I, I thought that was a, a good article. I have other thoughts on other articles, but I see Kyle has raised his hand. Kyle, what, what do you have to yeah, say? Yeah, I can't because I, I, my headphones aren't working, so I can't interject because I have to unmute it, and then it gets echoey. So that's why I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, two points on your thing. Um, on the player A, player B thing, I, I really like that that format because look if you're trying to make a point obviously when when someone's writing something like this you are trying to make a point and if you're using player a player b to make your point then then so be it i think uh, the example you gave was like using obscure defensive statistics or defensive war to really make a point like he wasn't he wasn't doing that in this case no i know i'm not saying he was i'm saying that like if you wanted I, to do a player a player yes, b i yeah. i understand that but the the point at least in this specific article was using a mix of traditional and widely accepted advanced stats to show that that Victorino and Odubel are virtually identical through their first three seasons. Um, so I actually thought that was that was pretty well done. I think these things work because they do force you to kind of set aside your bias and just look at things uh, plainly. That said, I've always been a guy who does believe in the eye test and doesn't think you can play a game, even baseball, in simply a spreadsheet. And there are... I'm not the biggest Adubal Herrera fan. Don't get me wrong. I think he is a uh, knucklehead to the nth degree above and beyond. He's got like sort of the knuckleheadness of Victorino with the occasional laziness and, you know, attitude issue that Jimmy, saying Jimmy Rollins had an attitude issue was unfair, but occasionally he did things like no, did not that. run out a ball and think that it was acceptable and that sort of thing. So Odubel has both of those things and um, you do need smart guys who who basically don't you know you do need smart utley type players uh or at least several of them on a team to form a good team and i don't think a team made up of odubel herrera's is is going to win much because um you know you're there's a certain intangible that's lacking there that said um 
Victorino was a bit of a bonehead, but he was surrounded by um, guys who were uh, his peers that he respected and looked up to who were equally as good, if not better. Uh, and he had a better supporting cast. He had a, I think, a better manager to handle that sort of thing in Charlie Manuel. I mean, by nothing I've seen from Pete McCannon in a couple of years here has showed me that he's like remotely the, the leader that this team needs. He kind of seems like a just a a like docile blanket. Um, so I, I don't, I don't really, I, I disagree with you. I think, I think Oduble is lacking, um, some structure and he's definitely a knucklehead, but he's a really good player. And I say this no, is not a, a fan. Player. I thought that was a really good piece to compare the two of them. Um, and Oduble's actually a little bit better in terms of production for through his first three years. Yeah. I don't want it to come off like I'm trashing. No, I get it. I thought it was, a, I thought it was a good article. I'm just saying that like the player, a player B thing, I, I think sometimes gets a, a little bit. I don't know, not necessarily overdone, maybe a little bit, I don't know, overrated, but like, I, I see what he was doing. And I, overall, like, I like that article. I I've enjoyed Chris's breakdowns of, uh, some of the, the Eagles stuff. Like he did the breakdown of 53 man roster. I thought that was good. Uh, Phil wrote the thing about, uh, Lindros and then I guess caught flack because like Flyers fans, as much as I, you know, as much as, you know, we've talked about this before, Flyers fans really like to go all in on on uh you know anytime they feel like their team has been slighted they all of a sudden just like to trash people but like i thought phil did a good job talking about that like lindros should be the last guy retired for a while and i think like the best comparison for like that kind of viewpoint is showing like how bad it's gotten for the phillies with the wall of fame you know like the idea that you always have to induct somebody into your wall of fame and then you start getting like mike lieberthal's like when is david bell gonna get you know inducted uh Whereas, like, the Flyers, like, Lindros going up makes all the sense in the world. But then, you know, the the idea of, like, should Mark Recchi have his, his number retired? Like, he was a really good flyer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, or he's a Hall of Famer. Like, yeah. you know, it's it, it's a tricky thing. So I think a lot of... The question is, too, is, like, those weekends, like, you see these franchises make money off of, like, these events. And then it becomes part of their budget. Because they look and they go, oh, man, well, you know, we bring in a few million from this whole thing. And we're not going to have that next year. We need that. I always think sometimes repetitive financial gains lead to some interesting franchise choices. I don't know if it is truly right. I don't know if they'd admit it, but I do think that. I agree. I agree with you. Uh, I think, I think it's actually, there's a little bit of a analogy there between that sort of mindset and um, the, the thing in media where you see like, advert uh, sponsor created segments obviously everyone needs sponsors and, and that's fine but like i take for example like csn used to do the the dunkin donuts morning minute video and it's like did that video really need to exist ever, certainly every day uh, no probably not but dunkin donuts paid for it and created it and it was like you know you had to fill something and i think the the players alumni weekends like you said adam are very much like that it kind of becomes built into the budget and it's fine but um, I think the point Phil was trying to make in that piece and certainly um, calling the Phillies out for maybe reaching down to the Mike Lieberthals and stuff is, is totally fair is that you begin to reach. And I think where I think his misstep and I pushed back a little in editing it and probably should have pushed back further was making that point about the solely about the number of retirements because the Flyers only have like five or six retired numbers. So they don't go overboard in that regard. I think the better point and the one that he was trying to make and that I took away from it was 
the Flyers fans in general and the team in general do tend to celebrate mediocrity or things that truly aren't great. And as much as people don't want to hear it and Flyers fans, this is where it comes back to that fan conversation we've had before. Like Eagles fan, we can all be step. Each team has its own Stepford fans, but I think Flyers fans are the most allergic to any sort of criticism, like they fall in line within 48 hours of a move. Like there could be a trade of a guy they loved the day before, and then that player will get traded. The initial reaction on Twitter will be, what the fuck are they doing? And within 12 hours, they've talked themselves into it. Like they do that faster. Dude, that than- happened with Jordan Matthews. I like, I, I get what you're saying, but like, no, you don't yeah. No, but I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't think I saw it happen, which we, we saw it happen with Jordan Matthews. Flyers fans do that like every single time. Like they're Eagles fans and Phillies fans and, and Sixers fans will disagree with the team from time to time and the moves they've made. Flyers fans just they just fall in line like 100 percent of the time. Um, but I think Phil's point was. And this is the, coming back to that was about Ian LaPerriere. I thought it was a good one. Like, look, great scrappy player, took a puck to the face. Like, by all accounts, a, a really good team guy, a really good dude. Um, he might just be a fine assistant coach for all we know. But he's become a little bit of a hero here because he took a puck to the face. Same thing happened with Aaron Rowan, but I don't think to the the, the degree that Flyers fans love LaPerriere. Like we all remember Rowan fondly for running into the wall, but Flyers fans like, you know, they would be ready to induct LaPerriere into a wall of fame. Um, Brian Boucher is essentially a career backup who I love. He was that 2000 season, that save on Eliash was spectacular. And by all accounts, also a good guy, well-beloved by the organization, but he kind of like, he was about as average as they come. And I think that was the point he was trying to make. Uh, the reason is that, that people, they could start reaching eventually. The reason that people revere LaPerriere a little bit more, uh, and he he became more of a cult hero than maybe like Rowan did, is that ended LaPerriere's career. Like that was it. Guy's jaw was shattered. They're winning a, a playoff game against the Devils, and he goes down, has his career ended by taking a puck to the face in a game that they're winning. That that's why people, I think, hold him in such high regard. You know, Rowan runs into a, a fence, breaks his nose, which was like a great moment and everything, but, like, he continued to play after that. I think that's that's a big part of it. It was also, you know, just a regular season game. Like, I, there, the you have to take into account the, you know, what happened afterwards and, and like, what the context of, of the games that they did these things. Well, Perrier was also, like, 36 and, like, probably just towards the end of his string. Like, it, you know, he wasn't a 22-year-old kid who had his, his career ended. I'm not saying yeah, it was, wasn't unfortunate. He was 36. But... Yeah, you're right. By the way, two other comments to add to this. JRod385 on iTunes uh, says, By the way, Russ, I'm with you. Move Tommy Joseph for the sake of everyone involved. I know you guys love that discussion. And then CJD5286 said, Genuinely enjoy Kyle and Adam's nuanced takes on soccer and the marketplace and everything else. Which, I don't know if our takes have ever been nuanced about soccer, but... Russ, I've I've thought of three names if you were to do a union podcast for Kyle. Okay. If you'd like to hear yeah, them. Hit me. Uh number one will be Joyful Union. Mm. Uh mm. I think it just makes a lot of sense with your name. Mm. Uh number two, uh Union Dues. Ooh. because uh, you know those exist. Union Dues. Uh and the number one would be Schlammers. The hell? 
because you have to do it with somebody, but you guys would be called the Schlammers. Schlammers were people back uh, in the 1940s that when unions would be out there and they'd be striking, uh, these people would come and they'd hit the striking employees with a metal uh, like bat <laughs> or a metal pole, but they would wrap it in newspaper so that you wouldn't just break the bones right away. So you'd wrap it in newspaper and the companies would send them out and they were known as schlammers. I'm so proud of you. So that, I wholly that endorse that, that practice for beating striking union members, by the way. Is that is that wrong? That's, yeah, so what happened was, this is how racketeering started. The companies uh, contacted the mob bosses, so the mob did a lot of the slamming. And then what happened was, when the union wanted to strike a few years later, they, they contacted the mob, and then the mob turned around and started doing Molotov cocktails and just threatening the owners of the company. And then two years after that, the companies came back and said, no, 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 we want you to slam again. And then the mob said, how about this time we just take your business? And the, the, the uh, owners were like, what are you talking about? And that's the definition of racketeering is when you just take someone's business through excessive force. And so it went, it went owners to slamming to Molotov cocktails for the whatever to we're just going to take your business now. So that is your 1920s uh, update for what happened in the uh, garment district in New Are, York. I bet you probably would have fit in pretty well with that divorcee voice, too. They probably would have feared you. Now, listen here, pal. <laughs> you're going to give us you're going to give us your T-shirt company and you're not going to say a word about it. Pretty. Hey, pick, you like picked that. that up from hanging out in Margate, no doubt. Oh man, Margate, rough, rough area. Yeah, I went to. I'm back in New York now, but I was in Margate for like two days. It rained, and uh, my brother and his friends uh, were going to the pool party at Harris. Um, man, people watching on a hundred. That was absurd. I mean, just going to Atlantic City in general at night. I always look around and I go, who are these people? But that was incredible. And they were like, and now special guest, B.O.B. And he did three songs and he left. And I was like, man, that was rough. And my girlfriend was like, don't get upset. He only has three songs. I was like, are you the point. sort of guy to go out in Atlantic City on a weekend night? I, I am the kind of person that likes to go to bed uh, really early or watch movies. But... You know, my girlfriend was down, and it was she has she hadn't met the fam yet, so it was more of a let's just let's just do this to get get out. Did you guys sleep in the same bed? Yeah. Yes, we did. Wait, is this the vegan? This is like this is this is vegan girlfriend. She yeah, she did the vegan with me. Vegan stuff, and now you introduced her to the family. I'm I'm excited. I don't like the way that you just phrased. We did (laughs) vegan stuff. Well, you know, for me, it's a, for <laughs> really you know, there's a salad tossing joke in here that I am not going to make. But yeah, see, if if I'm the one who says it, it's it's at least you know a nice, innocent. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. You guys did the vegan diet, is what's implied. Kyle, on yeah, the Kyle other hand, heard, Kyle heard sexual opportunity, and he said, "Guys, I have 17 jokes I'd like to say right now." No, yeah, we did vegan <laughs> stuff, and then she met the parents. I'm always intrigued by the initial. Strange. 
sleepover and the sleeping arrangement because it, you know I mean certainly you're a grown adult and that that makes all the sense in the world but there are there are families and parents out there who even even someone in their 30s if you're if you're bringing someone over like it's a it's a separate bed situation I my, my family's not that yeah, way we're, my we're wife's well, is not we're but well I, past could, that. I know they are out there yeah we're well past that I I had some of those situations you know 10 years ago uh, but now, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a grown person and, um, I, I think that's really cute. Like this is if my parents were saying something, I think it's really cute that you'd want us to do that, but that's absurd. That's you know what happened is Adam's parents were like, Adam, she needs, she can sleep in, in your bed, but you have to sleep on the couch. You will live, you will sleep in separate rooms. And Adam put on the 1920s divorce save voice and, uh, and, Change like, mom, mom, I'm three times divorced. And I, I'm a chain smoker. I, why can't I sleep in the same bed? I got eight kids. <laughs> mom, I swear to God, I'm going to slam the crap out of your leg if you don't let me sleep in this bedroom. Now, the only time I sleep on the couch is when grandma comes over. She gets my room, I get the couch, and then I wake up with a huge back pain because that metal pole in the middle of the, of the couch. Bed. Oh, my back. Very chivalrous of you. Alimony bills. Back Let me right tell there. you something, Grandma. You only got so much time left on this, sir. You know, take the bed. Leave the cannoli. No, take the cannoli. Leave the bed. Whatever. Gilbert Godfrey. Do whatever, Grandma. What? It does turn into Gilbert Godfrey. Probably. Good. Grandma! Grandma, I have a question for you. When are you going to just sleep on the couch? It's been my entire life. Stop taking my bed. Sleep on the couch, Granny. If that voice ever comes out of Lefko, it would be, really be something. That was great. My voice is so much better when we record at night. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Probably a good uh, place to write. I also wake up I also wake up like four minutes before we record. So I don't really like if I were to do a T, my voice is pristine. But right now I'm laying down, I'm holding the microphone over my head. Apparently, phlegm is riling up, <laughs> and that's probably when we should leave. Uh, now, I'm talking like Gilbert Godfrey, <laughs> and I don't even mean to be. If this Gilbert Godfrey bad. had, like, smoked 15 cigars and, like, had a nice glass of All right, of hold on. So, I did think about this. I'm realizing that there's a hole in media, and it's called predicting media. And I want to do it here. I'm going to do it on my other podcast, Sims and Lefko Drink. But that'll be more football related. But I think it would be better if we did it in the Philadelphia perspective. Because what happens is, is when you predict media and then it comes true, you look really smart. So guys, what will be the big Eagles topics in the local media this week? Articles slash radio slash TV. What do you guys think will be the big discussion points heading into the season opener against Washington? Donnell Pumphrey, Bo. I think Pumphrey is going to have a bunch of articles. I would bet that there are going to be a few guys from the uh, from the, the Inquirer and the Daily News that are going to probably, I, I think they'll take probably dueling threads. One will probably uh, attack the the fact that Pumphrey is still on the roster. They'll probably do a tracking of somebody who's been cut by the team and picked up elsewhere. Um, and then somebody else is going to probably at some point work on like a three week long, uh, article about like the redemption of, of Donnell Pumphrey, about his struggle and, uh, about how he's, 
he's working so hard to make sure that he he proves all the haters haters wrong. They're going to use the tweet that he sent out the day that the 53 man roster was was set up uh was released and uh that that would be my guess. I think Pumphrey is going to be big. I think the I think there was probably going to be at least one article written about uh Wentz finding chemistry with Alshon Jeffrey uh and if it doesn't work out early that it's going to kind of be like the going back and questioning the Jordan Matthews trade like I think that that's a really easy article to write, and I think somebody will. Are right, you predicting it. next week? You've moved on to next week. Slow down. Russ is your main one. Russ is going. Rumpf is going. Pumphrey redemption is Russ's oh. take. Kyle, what is your what is your leading up to week one media prediction? Yeah, R- Russ is hedging as he usually does and throwing everything at the wall. Uh, and he... whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on, hold on, Mister. Yeah, time out, Mr. time out, Captain <laughs> Hedger. Yeah. Man, Captain Captain Hedge. I never hedge. Kyle, what's your what's your prediction? I'm gonna call you Sonic, you hedge hog. Hey, wow. come on. Now. Wow. Ooh. So, um, that actually no, worked out I, better I, than like always. I'm going to take a stance and put my foot in and stick with it. Um, I think, <laughs> uh, I well actually, <laughs> actually, I think there could be two possible topics. Uh, oh. both, both sides of the ball. I think we're gonna have a. a Pick slew one. of Derek Barnett uh, making making his debut, his long-awaited moment types of articles. He'll have some sort of a media, media availability to talk about that. Uh, I do think the running back distribu- the running distribution will be a big story this week because um, I don't think anybody really knows like like what how much of a role is Sproul's going to have. What does he have left in the tank? Smallwood, Pumphrey. Blunt, I think that is the one big question mark they have on offense right now. How are they going to use all these guys? We didn't really get a feel for that in the preseason. Um, none of them looked particularly good, also concerning. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of that, like running back distribution, pass-run balance, those sorts of stories, unless something else happens. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the Barnett thing. Hmm. I couldn't reach the mute abundant time. Uh, I think that um, the big article this week is going to be about are we're going to see how much Alshon is actually worth going up against Josh Norman. Like I think that's going to be the the big thing is what was this investment truly worth? Um, and then I have a, a second hedgy one too, but that's what's my your second hedgy one. one? My second hedgy one is uh, Ronald Darby. Good athlete, but is he too small to face Washington's very tall receiving core? But I think it's going to be Josh Norman, Alshon Jeffrey will be the big While you mention that, what do you think of uh, Terrell Pryor's upside this year for the Redskins? I am very bullish on him as a daily fantasy player. Did you draft him? Did you draft Uh, him? Daily fantasy, daily fantasy. Yeah, I think he's going to be – he should be really good. I mean, he had a great year last year with the Browns. I think he's truly a difference maker at the position. Um, my, my, I mean, I'm not going to – like, everything in football is all related. So, like, I think Washington's run offense is going to suck. I don't know if I can trust their offensive coordinator as much as Sean McVay. And I look at how they've done the preseason thus far, and Washington's offense has looked completely in disarray. Like, completely in disarray. Atlanta and Washington are both taking a step back because their offensive coordinator left. Like, I definitely think that. But I think that he will have a big year because 
they're going to freaking need him because Josh Doxson hasn't shown up. Jordan Reed always gets hurt, and they also lost Pierre Garcon. So I think he will have a big year, but I don't I don't know if it's going to be like a – I just don't think Washington's offense will be as good as last year, but I still think – I agree. Not much of a running game. Defense also isn't very good, which if you're going game script theory, which I like to do at least in, in daily fantasy, uh, they could be behind a lot and throwing a lot. And um, if you're in <clears throat> a points per reception uh, platform like a DraftKings, uh, I I feel like Terrell Pryor's a guy who could rack up a lot of points. It's my two – my sense on that. So pay attention to the local media. If they use our stories, they stole it from us. Oh, hey, by the way, speaking of local media. So if they do a Pumphrey story, an Alshon Jeffrey, or a running back uh, distribution, they stole it from us. Uh, really quick, I don't think we got to talk <laughs> about this. Uh, speaking of local media, so the Coggin Toboggan story that was posted on Crossing Broad that like uh, once again ruffled the feathers of 97.5 people. Um I don't know, Adam, if, if you got to see any of the, the backlash that came about, but there was... No, but, but I, was, I read the article and I was like, holy crap, this is intense. But, what, but I mean, that it was Kyle on steroids, so it was good. So like, once again, Jamie Lynch, who, uh, you know, called me, me and Kyle, actually, clueless on Twitter, was it last week or the week before, um, was the one to really get irate about this Coggin Toboggan story, saying that he was gutless for not posting his name that he had no credibility because he didn't post his name. And then, like, I guess shortly after he had received a bunch of tweets of people saying, well, the guy is right. Like, this is, like, Philly media, Philly radio is is really boring and tired at this point. Uh, he finally kind of just said that he wishes that he never would have, you know, brought any kind of publicity to the article. Uh, like, he was regretting it at that point. I don't necessarily think it's because he regretted the fact that he showed the article. I think he regretted that once again, people took him to task on Twitter about the state of Philadelphia's sports talk radio. And like, I get that if you work in it, you're going to defend it. But again, like I'm just starting to think that some of the people at the fanatic are, are getting way, 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 way too upset about whatever size demographic or or cross section of the fandom are on Twitter. And they're letting it get under their skin. And like, I didn't see WIP people going crazy about it. Like, I know that Fantasy Fest, I think, was the, the picture that Coggin Toboggan used. But he talked about doing it to both stations. And I don't remember, like, seeing, comparatively, any producers from a WIP show or any of their on-air guys. I don't follow them on Twitter, but I didn't see any of it, you know, uh, any kind of follow-up of, of them losing it. I think one station has, you know, been catching a lot of ire on Twitter and it's gotten way under their skin. And I think at some point they, they just need to, to stop. Um, Kyle, <clears throat> you have your hand raised. So a couple of things on the cog and toboggan piece. Uh, it did, <laughs> of all the pieces we posted, naturally that got, I would say, double the page views of the next, uh, the next piece, uh, which not wholly unexpected. I think... Um, I, I, I've, 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 reactions were very polarizing on this. I, I saw a lot of people saying, God, this guy nailed everything I've been thinking about Philly Sports Talk Radio. And I would say that made up a minor majority. And I would say of the other people's responses were like, why would you give this guy a voice? It's ranty. He's clearly on the outside. It's slightly misinformed. And humana, humana, humana. Um, I think... 
I, I think the site's always been at the best when we try and approach things as the from the view of fans. I don't think that means you can't have um, guys like Kevin Love and Sean Cottrell doing more um, professional style pieces, and occasionally we do quote unquote professional style pieces. But ultimately, we're we're dealing with fans here, and I I always like to try and channel uh, people's emotions, and then where I can add some. Uh, things that you know i i've been informed on or people i know and i actually add some insight to that um mentality or that opinion then i try and do that but i think coggin as was writing it strictly as a fan as like as someone who listens to sports talk radio this is the way i feel his piece was totally over the top um we went back and forth multiple times to tone down his lead because initially throwing the salami in the room and then having a smoke bomb thrown in was actually throwing all those guys in the room and turning on the gas and then bringing them out in body bags, which to me sounded like um, a little bit too far uh, and maybe um, um, oh, just a little bit. Yeah. Genocide. Yeah. yeah genocide, which is you know never good for your introductory article. So we toned yeah. that down because what I think would have gotten lost in that was the fact that it was absurd and he was calling for people to be killed when he was obviously joking. But um, I think he, he struck a nugget of truth in the second half of it, which is like Philly sports talk radio is really incestuous. And he was ranting about the incestuous nature about guys like Rob Ellis who aren't particularly good on the radio or TV hopping around from one place to another and getting three different separate opportunities, maybe even four, and, um, you know, like just kind of tired topics. And I think that struck a chord with a lot of people. And it did piss off people like Jamie Lynch because when you're in that racket, it is kind of hard to feel that way. But from the outside, it's very clear that it's a very, very, very small incestuous community of people. And it does kind of just recycle the same group think. And I, th- I think that's what was good about the piece. And I think what was bad about the piece was that, um, I think lost in sort of his over the top, especially in the beginning, uh, it, it kind of, lo- his point was kind of lost in the fact that it was so sort of, um, like intentionally hyperbolic in the beginning. And it was like a weird mix of, is this real or satire to start? And then the second half was good. I would have been fine if the article was just the second half. Um, but I thought it was good. I, and I thought it was funny. It was like the funny. part about wing ball, about, about read- soon to be widows, like worrying about their husband's killing over and dying like i I was laughing at a couple of those lines i thought it was if you don't read that and understand that it's satire like then then that's like that's an issue with you as the reader i think i thought that one of like the dumber points that people brought up that i saw on twitter and in the comment section was you know this seems really racist against italians i i just want to point out to people okay like i'm 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 half italian okay Uh, me as well south south philly italian is not really Italian. Like I hate, I hate to pull the carpet out on a lot of people. Uh, maybe if you're Sicilian, maybe like you know, Sicilian, they they identify themselves as totally different. But you go to Tuscany, and this like South Philly kind of kind of like, oh come on, Bo, we gotta get the hard salami, Bo, the mozzarella. Like that's not that's not Italian. It's like Italians eat that stuff, but it's not racist because you make the joke of like throwing in hard salami and some like sharp provolone, like. There is nothing racist about it. I think that. it was one person pointed that out. So let's just, and it was there probably Mike Missinelli who said he once said on the air he would be offended by the the caricature of an Italian guy on a pizza box. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think people, the, the guy's name is Coggin Toboggan, okay? Like, it, he didn't post it under, like, the name, you know, Phil Williams or something. Like, I, if you don't, if you don't read that, I think everyone got, I think this again, it goes back to, we were talking about direction and 
WIP made a decision to invest in podcasts. They said, we're in the audio business and we're going to link up with the influencers in the audio space and become the audio hub for Philadelphia sports fans. That's their vision is that we know that you're not always going to listen to us whenever we're on, but you're going to maybe listen to us later. And when you're listening to Bleeding Green Nation or Liberty Ballers and you hear WIP, it helps. That's their plan. 97.5 is still running a playbook from 20 years ago, which a lot of other stations run. You don't have to change. The problem is, is that it sounds like they're getting their ideas from the internet and Twitter and callers. And that's not a good way to run any business. The only way to do anything creative is to put down your phone, take out a pen and a paper or a laptop if you can avoid going on the internet there and thinking and actually creating. It's the only way that I've ever done anything creative. But when you're listening to everybody else, you end up making this mishmash that has no identity and is not really well thought out. And that's what it sounds like they've been doing. Now, I don't think their radio hosts do that. I don't think that when uh, Missinelli and Gargano wake up in the morning that maybe they do, but I don't think that they're sitting there going, I'm going to rely on callers today. I think Missinelli tries to write out a show and create content and all that stuff. But we just don't have a lot of unique thinkers on the airwaves right now. I have a lot of friends, Nick Wright, the one that just got his own show on FS1 with Chris Carter. I have a friend, Danny Parkins, who has a show in Chicago. Uh, I have a friend that has a show in Houston. These are guys I went to college with. I've, I've asked them, what's your process? And dude, they sit there for like all day with a notepad and they're just coming up with new thoughts and they're, they're, they're coming up with show concepts and they're working with their producers and it's, and they create these huge fan bases and all this stuff. I don't know if that's happening right now. Well, and it can, I think there's a huge availability in the marketplace. I think there's a lot of white noise that's easy to cut through. I think that we don't have a lot of people right now that are truly spending a lot of their times going, I can dominate the Philadelphia conversation. If I come with a point tomorrow about the Eagles that no one else has thought about, they're going to be forced to talk about it. But all I hear is, what do you guys want to talk about? 610-632. And that's fine because you're giving a large amount of the fan base something that they want which is hearing what the fan base is talking about but i don't know i just think there's a lot of availability right now and i just don't see a lot of people taking advantage of so it. really quick to that point like that i think was uh you know however misguided or not that was like kind of what i think innis tried to do as a disruptor he was actually it was funny over the weekend I saw somebody retweet that Ennis had said, uh, you know, it's funny that people are now pointing out uh, how bad Philly radio is because that was his whole thing when he was here. Um, I just want to point out really quick, you know, uh, Wankel right now in uh, the Slack chat just dropped in that uh, apparently Cataldi's morning show is doing a best of. They're not live. And apparently 97.5 is doing the same thing. They're also not live. It's Labor Day. It's 
So what? It's Labor Day. Everyone's everyone's we're, off. We're here. Everyone's off. We're Russ. here. The, the, I, we're here. Uh, I'm gonna just like stop you. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Time out. Time out. Time out. As someone on, as someone who's worked Labor Day for TV stations before, I agree with Kyle that it's Labor Day, but I also see to Russ's point, and maybe to Kagan Tabagan's point, there are people that work at that radio station right now that are doing the overnight shift or whatever that would love to work today and get reps in this time slot. That would be the only thing I would say is you could ask the lower guys, do you want to do it? But also you need to get producers and stuff in. I'm just saying though, that typically you ask the, under- okay, you I get your get point. Like Jeff, I thought- Jeff Mosher and Devon given Givens would probably do a morning. Show. Okay. I thought Russell's I point think- was that they- there's like some, something is happening here. If they're, if- no, 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 I, I, it, it is strange to me that they wouldn't send anybody in to do any kind of show. Um, there was something else that people had been tweeting about over the weekend, which was that 97.5 kept running the Charles Barkley, I guess, Mike Mizzanelli interview, uh, like, ad nauseum over the weekend in, in place of, like, I guess, programming that would have typically been filled by uh, by weekend radio guys. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think that might that, – that, I think, is something that gets a little bit frustrating for me as, like, somebody who consumes podcasts, like – I could see, you know, trying to, you know, really push people to your app because 97.5 has an app and to go and listen to the the Barkley interview there. It's just strange to me that they wouldn't, uh, that they would go back to the well so many times over the course of a weekend, but whatever, like it's, it's just a different well, I, The reason, that. yeah, but there is a reason. First of all, Be, uh, Beasley did cut some uh, weekend staff in a cost cutting move about eight to 12 months ago. I forget what it was early this year, maybe. Um when you do this, you don't like to Adam's point, you don't have to pay people. No one has to be, you have to have one person in the studio instead of three or four. So it's a, on a day like a labor day or over a holiday weekend where your listenership goes down, uh, you know, maybe as much as 80%. I mean, it, it, totally cratering you do not have a commute crowd today and the morning shows at least certainly are built around the commute crowd um it's just cheaper to just regurgitate stuff it's the same reason you know you see um you know rerun why they play rerun sitcoms or rerun talk shows like last week i don't know why i know this but the ellen show was on rerun well like why not just put somebody in to fill in for her well because it's cheaper and more people are still probably going to watch the rerun and people who are in their car at the shore who hadn't heard of the charles barkley interview would probably rather listen to that than insert random ass weekend fill-in hosts who they would have to pay so i just think there's just a very pragmatic reason for this i do agree that why not give someone a shot to do a morning show on a labor day that's fair but I, you know, I, I wouldn't look too much into these sorts of things. It's just easier and cheaper and might actually get better ratings than if you put Joe Torty on today or something like that. I agree. Well, no, that was good. Good media talk to wrap this episode of crossing broadcast up. Hope you guys have had an amazing labor day. If you're on the beach right now in the sunshine, I want you crack open a cold one and pour one out for Kyle Russ and myself we'll be back on wednesday bright and early moment of silence real quick for reese hoskins entire body joel Embiid's entire body you know what every sixers entire body and the spiritual guidance of carson wentz carson would want to say god bless you and so will i we'll be back on wednesday bright and early for another edition
of the Crossing Broadcast.